Welcome to Bench Talk, the week in science. My name is Dave Robinson. And I'm Ashley Best. You're listening to WFMP Louisville, 106.5 FM. This show's about bringing science to the people. We'll be bringing you weekly updates on new research that is important to all of us and celebrating evidence-based policy. We've scoured the library stacks for interesting articles, climbed the hill to stay informed on science policy, and performed some experiments of our own. We're here as a conduit of all things science, so... Let's get started. Hey, are you at all concerned about the use of agricultural chemicals on the food you eat? You know, the grain, the fruit, the vegetables you consume, the fiber you use? Would you like to see more small farms in the United States? Farms that take a more holistic approach to crop production rather than the large-scale industrial approach that depends so heavily on chemicals and expensive machinery. Do you ever get concerned about the impact that agriculture has on the environment? Well, if you answered yes to any of these questions, you might be interested in hearing about what happened at the annual Acres USA conference that was held in Louisville in December of 2018. Acres USA is a magazine that's been advocating organic farming since it was first published back in the 1970s. And they've been putting on a national conference about regenerative farming or ecological agriculture for the past 43 years. Today I want to fill you in a little bit about what I heard at this conference and play for you a few short sound bites from the experts who spoke there. Now if you want to hear our first story about the Acres Conference, check out our broadcast from December 23, 2018. Towards the end of that episode, I do discuss an expansive meta-analysis of the scientific literature about organic farming. It was based on an article that was published in Nature Plants back in 2016. The final conclusion from this article was, quote, Although organic farming systems produce lower yields compared with conventional agriculture, they are more profitable and environmentally friendly and deliver equal or more nutritious foods with less to no pesticide residues. In addition, initial evidence indicates that organic agriculture is better at enhancing the delivery of ecosystem services other than yield, as well as some social sustainability benefits." So today I want to tell you a little bit more about what I heard at this conference. Many of the speakers at this Acres conference advocated that farmers and gardeners should be taking a systems approach rather than a piecemeal approach. So rather than just adopting single elements of sustainable agriculture, things like no-till or cover cropping or crop rotation, these speakers are arguing that the farmer, the gardener, needs to look at the land more holistically as an entire ecosystem especially with an emphasis on the soil. There was Gary Zimmer, for instance. Now, Gary Zimmer is sometimes referred to as the father of biological agriculture, and he's a longtime organic farmer in Wisconsin. 
Gary Zimmer stressed how organic farming is not just about not doing the various things that damage the land. So just because you farm no-till, just because you use less agricultural chemicals, just because you rotate crops, that doesn't mean that you're truly building the kind of soil you want. Gary Zimmer recommends improving the carbon-nitrogen ratios in the soil. The idea here is to feed the microorganisms that help the crop grow and to feed the crop too. So Zimmer distinguishes three kinds of carbon that can be added to the farm. You've got the carbon from the living plants and it could just be carbon dioxide put into the air because that's what plants use for photosynthesis. Then there's the carbon from decaying plant material that's put into the soil. And then there's the carbon which comes from organic exudates that the living roots excrete into the soil. In a minute, I'll play a short sound clip of Gary Zemmer's lecture. And here he's talking about the carbon-nitrogen ratio in the soil and how important timing is. He also mentions carbon dioxide, which is produced by microorganisms in the soil as they degrade organic matter. And that's what's coming out of our lungs every time we exhale. Well, carbon dioxide can be considered a fertilizer for plants because it is a substrate for photosynthesis. Photosynthesis is this fascinating but very complex biochemical process by which plants collect physical energy from the sun, the sunlight, they capture carbon dioxide from the air, and they combine these two things, reshape that carbon into organic molecules that we call carbohydrates, sugars basically. These sugars can subsequently be used by the plant to make things like the cell wall, the starch, proteins, the DNA, all that stuff that makes the plant what it is, and that's the stuff we eat. Well, most plants are actually deficient in carbon dioxide. CO2 only makes up about 0.04% of the air we are breathing. It's not 4%, it's not 0.4%, it's 0.04%. So if we could provide more CO2 to the plant, they will generally grow better. This does depend on the crop, however, as there are alternative versions of the photosynthetic pathway that are more efficient at grabbing onto CO2 than others. But actually, most crop plants will grow better if they're provided more CO2. Okay, so here you can hear a couple of minutes of Gary Zimmer's talk. Here's the father of biological agriculture. This is on our farm. I'm a real believer in wicking and getting things into the surface. You put that crop down there, we run our big old lemkin disc down here. And you see we got a lot of stuff laying on top. Because someone says, how do you shallow incorporate? I said, well, the stuff is this tall, you got to get a little bit deeper. Uh, in 1976, I stood on a farm in northern Illinois that grew 375 bushel corn. And nobody was getting 100 in those days. You could stick your hand in the ground, clear your elbow. And the papers that said he put on 400 pounds of nitrogen and 400 pounds of phosphorus, that was a lie. That was manure proper tillage and subsoiling. He deepened that aerobic zone in 25 years and unbelievable crops. 40 inch rows, public varieties of corn. You see, we're shallow incorporating that in here. This was a, on our farm. And uh, I want to say the fence post rocks off up here. That zone has got to be kept active. And so when the water falls, it can fall in. And it's got to be a cup. And I can go deeper and deeper and deeper with that zone by the more residues I have and by the more active, the more biology, and the more air I have in my soil. If I got active biological soil. And the other thing people don't always realize is this thing right here is the fact that the number one yield limiting factor on your crops, carbon dioxide. 
You got this trouble with all this extra carbon dioxide. No, no, no. We got a deficiency of carbon dioxide. What our trouble is, we're putting the nutrients on at the wrong time and burning off the carbon dioxide when there's no plant to absorb it. That plant's not made upside down. The stomata on the bottom of the leaf to absorb carbon dioxide and gases coming out of the soil. And so if you don't have a bunch of carbon dioxide, anybody that's organic and cultivates, the next day your corn jumped because you just put air in the ground and released carbon dioxide. You can burn up soil with too much tillage, don't get me wrong. But you see, I got to make sure I keep my carbons here, and that's why I want to limit your nitrogen and tax your nitrogen because you pour a bunch of nitrogen on, you boil off all the carbon dioxide at the wrong time and now it's in the atmosphere, it's gone. I want to sequester it in the next crop. And that's management of nitrogen, splitting off nitrogen 10 times, doing all those different things makes this whole thing work. So that was a little bit of Gary Zimmer speaking at the Acres USA conference. Then there was Dr. Chris Nichols, a microbiologist who has worked as both a traditional agricultural researcher with the USDA, as well as with the Rodale Institute, which is a nonprofit experiment station in Pennsylvania, doing research and advocating organic farming for more than 70 years. Dr. Nichols started off her talk characterizing our current agricultural system. This is a three-minute clip of that talk. We have nearly 900 million acres of agricultural land in the United States. We need to convert that to regenerative systems now. At least 400 million of that needs to be in regenerative systems now. We are in crisis mode. This is what we're looking at. We are running out of time and money. We need to be looking at the systems on how we're gonna be able to do that because this is most of you. How many of you are farmers or ranchers? How many of you are gardeners? How many of you eat? <laughs> this is us. We are being crushed by these blocks that are falling on us. These blocks where we're forced to look at all of these different things that we're forced to focus on. And as farmers and ranchers and gardeners, these are your jobs. I'm just a lowly soil microbiologist. I don't have to do much. I don't have to work that hard. You all have to be plant pathologists, hydrologists, microbiologists, nutritionists, animal scientists, ecologists, economists, salesmen, engineers, mechanics, chemists, climatologists, and breeders, and other things. <laughs> many, many, many jobs, many hats that you're forced to wear. It's always kind of been that way, but the pressure has been increasing on our food producers. And we need to go back to realizing that we are growing food. In North America, we have some of the best land on the planet. And in most of those 900 million acres in the United States, we grow low quality feed and industrial products, i.e. corn, soybeans, cotton, and some wheat. We don't grow food. We talk about the fact that we need to feed our planet, but we're not growing food. So how can we say we need to feed our planet? Estimates are that we grew enough food last year to feed well over 14 billion people. This is not an equation about growing more food. This is an equation, one, about growing more nutritionally dense food, which we're not doing, and two, about growing food rather than low-quality feed and industrial products. So what is it that we can do to change things? One of which is taking this systems approach. As a microbiologist, 
The soil organisms are the most important things that I see in our system. So that was Dr. Chris Nichols. Now I should mention here that Acres USA has given me permission to provide these short clips for you to listen to. Acres does have full-length recordings of all the talks, and I'm sure they're of higher quality than mine. If you visit their internet site, AcresUSA.com, I'm sure you can find them. Dr. Nichols spoke about farmers not just checking the boxes in the way they farm, like no-till, cover cropping, better grazing practices. She says that those are all good things, but that farmers need to focus more on improving soils, and that requires a more comprehensive approach. And Zimmer said the same thing, really. So Nichols is saying that you can't just add mineral nutrients, but you need to think about microorganisms in the soil, like the nitrogen-fixing bacteria, the bacteria that solubilize phosphorus, and mycorrhiza fungi that help connect plants better with the soil and with each other. She also thought that an important part of soil improvement was adding carbon to the soil. Now when a crop plant is being really productive, she's arguing that that carbon's not necessarily being put into the soil. Most of the carbon's going into the part of the plant that we're going to eat, the harvested part of the plant, like the seed or the fruit. So she's basically saying that farmers need to have green plants growing in the field as much as possible during the year. So she thought here in Louisville, we should be able to have plants in the ground for 320 to 340 days of the year. That's like 10 and a half to 11 months of the year. The idea there is that when you have plants in the ground, they are excreting carbon-containing molecules into the soil, and that improves the soil. Another interesting idea that I heard in Dr. Dickel's talk was about the importance of having farm animals involved in the cropping system. So here she's talking about cows, sheep, goats, alpacas, bison, chickens, turkeys, hogs. Livestock can provide a lot of advantages to the farmer. They recycle nutrients by eating plants, for instance. Now, cows do this by breaking down the cell walls with their very unusual digestive system. For instance, cows have a rumen that contains salts and bacteria that break down cellulose, which is the cell wall of the plant. They regurgitate the cud from the rumen, then they chew it up even better and, and swallow it again. And then eventually that plant material passes down to the gizzard, where it grinds the plant down even further. Of course, the cow is absorbing most of the nutrients that are in this plant material, but they do excrete some, as well as excrete their own waste products that are produced by the digestive processes. So there is still plenty of carbon in cow manure, and that is good for the soil. Livestock also provide a natural means for getting rid of weeds, as long as they actually eat them. Animals can interrupt natural insect and disease cycles by eliminating some of the host plants. Some animals can rough up the soil surface with their eating patterns and with their hooves. For instance, pigs are good at breaking up the soil surface to increase water infiltration and reduce erosion. Of course, having animals on the farm can have economic advantages too. Livestock can provide the farmer with something of high value to sell and can help them spread their farm income more evenly throughout the year. But in this clip, Chris Nichols is talking about another advantage for having livestock on the farm. Specifically, she's talking about cattle grazing in an agricultural field. 
it's about three and a half minutes. And livestock are a tool in how we manage the system. And I want to show you some key things with livestock. So this is a video from um, up near Manning, Alberta. But if you can watch and see as she's grazing, you can see the way that cattle graze. What I advise you to do is watch animals grazing. Spend some time watching different animals graze. Because the way that cattle graze, she doesn't use her teeth. She uses her tongue. She wraps her tongue around the forage and pull. And the process of doing that, basically that pulling and tugging, what she'll do is that tugging action rips at root hairs. Whether she pulls the plant up or not, it rips at the root hairs. And so the root hairs will get ripped off. That releases a lot of carbon exudates below ground. Stimulates the microbial community. That pulling and tugging action actually also tears the plant leaf. It's not a mowing action. You can't mimic this with pain. That mowing action as opposed to the tearing action. The tearing action, because it tears the leaf tissue in multiple places, what that does is it's a multiple wound pattern. The multiple wound pattern, and I apologize for this, this is going to be a little bit gross, but it's similar to as if you got lost in the woods and you got mauled by a bear. All right, your arm got mauled by a bear, you're better off tying a tourniquet around your arm and possibly losing your arm than you are trying to wrap up all of those wounds because your body can't produce enough resources to cover all of those wounds, produce enough clotting factors, and sustain you for very long. The plant, because of all of those wounds, needs to produce more biomolecules to cover those wounds, and it also needs to produce more photosynthetic activity to get it going again. So what it will do is it gives off a lot of exudates to the soil. Not that it has clotting factors, but it has other biomolecules, the stress biomolecules, the antioxidants and polyphenolics that help with its cell wall structure. What it will do is it will give off more exudates to the soil to attract the minerals, the micronutrients that are needed for those complex biomolecules. It will give off more exudates to the soil microorganisms, stimulate more biological activity. The formation of those complex biomolecules is important to us, not only because we're going to be putting more carbon below ground and solving our carbon problem, but also because we're getting those complex biomolecules formed that are important to our health. So that was Dr. Chris Nichols at last year's Acres Conference talking about how roots excrete or secrete organic molecules into the soil. And indeed, there's a lot of organic molecules that are put into the soil by roots. Things like carbohydrates, amino acids, organic acids, flavanols, lignans, coumarins, fatty acids, sterols. Now this question about cows wounding the grass when they're eating it because their tongue swirls around the grass and they're trying to pull the grass to their mouth. Dr. Nichols is saying that that stimulates the plant roots to secrete more carbon molecules into the soil and then that attracts helpful micronutrients. Well, I'm still looking for scientific literature on this topic. So far, I really haven't been able to find a research article stating this kind of a thing. I just haven't found it yet. I have emailed Dr. Nichols about it a few weeks ago and haven't heard back. I found a lot of references about how cattle can damage a pasture. They walk on it, they compress the ground, they can overgraze, things like that. But I couldn't find anything specific about this claim that eating plants by cattle might stimulate root excretion or attract micronutrients. 
It's certainly an intriguing idea, however, and it really makes me want to go out to some farms and watch cattle eat. You're currently listening to Bench Talk, the weekend science at WFMP 106.5 here in Louisville, Kentucky. Another talk I attended was by Leilani Zimmer-Durand. She's vice president of a company called Midwestern BioAg, and they market organic agricultural products to farmers. Her talk was titled, Building Your Microbial Bridge, and she uses this term microbial bridge to refer to the idea that soil microorganisms play an important role in delivering soil nutrients to plants. She's saying that there's already lots of nutrients in the air and the soil and that microbes can help make them available to the plants. So she's arguing that the organic farmer needs to nurture that relationship between plant and microorganisms by building a healthy, balanced soil. And her company does sell soil amendments for doing this kind of thing. Her talk's about five minutes. And then kind of another way of thinking of it is our plants are farmers. The plants themselves are farming microbes. And this is where I think it's really exciting to see our advancement and understanding of how plants, soils, and microbes work together. 50 years ago, we didn't really think about soil as anything as a substrate, right? You put your plant in it and it holds it up and you just dump on the nutrients you need, pretty much all soluble and chemically derived, and away we go, right? Soil was a substrate. Then, 20, 30 years ago, we started to see root exudates. We started to understand, like, Oh, these plants are actively taking some of the energy they've produced and putting it in the soil. Something's going on there. Now what we're seeing is it's not just they're putting down exudates. They are specifically working with certain kinds of microbes to bring them energy. So our understanding of how plants and microbes work together is getting more and more advanced and complex all of the time. So I think this always kind of begs the question, if you need more microbes, why not just add a biological, right? More microbes is good. And there are lots of biologicals out there. I spent maybe 15 minutes just doing a quick web survey for soil biologicals, and I found a whole lot of them, right? There are a lot of biologicals out there right now. And if you walked around the trade show here, you see quite a few of them. I've been coming to Acres conferences for about 10 years. And I always think it's interesting to see the change in what kinds of vendors we have. and. It's, this year seems to be a lot more microbes. We seem to be growing a lot in that microbial um, component. So it shows that we're understanding this a lot better. It shows people recognize the value of the microbes. And there are a lot of products out there. So hey, why not just add a biological? Martinus Beierink was a Dutch soil microbiologist from the late 1800s. And I think he said this really well. When it comes to soil life, everything is everywhere and the milieu selects. So all of the microbes, maybe not the individual species, but all of the types, all of the niches you would fill, like a nitrogen fixer and a sulfur converter, they're all already there, right? All of those niches are already filled. The milieu select, meaning that soil environment, those plants that are there, that soil type, that climate is selecting which ones live. You already have 
whether you have healthy soils or not healthy soils, you already have a microbial community in your soil. And if that's true, what happens when you add a new microbe? It's not like there's an empty space in that microbiome in your soil. It's already full. So whatever you add has to go in and compete against what's already there. It's already full. So it's not easy, right? You put on a microbial, it's got to compete. I have not always been a big believer in microbials. At Midwestern BioLife, we do carry a microbial now called CX1. And as, as Sandy from Purple Cow would say, it's taken me some convincing, but I have seen some really good results from this microbial on the soils. But we don't just dump on a microbe, we put it on the food source, right? right? We're trying to give that those microbes in that product a fighting chance. You put on the microbes with a food source, they've got a better chance of surviving and being successful. But I have to say, when it comes to microbials, it's not as easy as chemistry, right? It's not as easy as, I'm going to grow corn, I need nitrogen, I'm going to put on urea, right? Corn, nitrogen, you're going to get a yield from adding urea, right? The nitrogen, and the urea, it just works, right? There's an answer, right? My soil is low in calcium, I'm going to put on some calcium sulfate, I now have more calcium. With microbials, it's infinitely more complex, right? You have, you have a milieu in your soil. And because one microbial product works here, doesn't mean it works over there. It takes a lot more detective work to find the microbial that's going to work for your soil, for your crops, in your environment. It's not quite as straightforward as putting on a fertilizer. I think there's a lot of advancement in our understanding of microbials. I think we're starting to make a lot of progress, but I wouldn't recommend the same one to everybody. I think you need to do your own on-farm research to find what works for you. And I also think a really good way to go is to build your own microbial capacity, to build as healthy and as diverse a microbial community as you can in your own soils. How to do that? If you want a healthy microbial population, I think there are three keys. You need a good mineral balance in your soils. You need to have a good organic matter level. And organic matter, you know, it varies a little bit based on your soil type. A sand isn't going to have as high of organic matter as a heavier, like a clay soil is. But you want to build as healthy an organic matter level as you can. And you want to have a lot of plant diversity. So that was Leilani Zimmer-Duran talking about how you can build a microbial bridge to a healthier soil. So that's about all I'm going to be able to review for you from the 2018 Acres Conference on Organic Farming, Eco-Agriculture that was held in Louisville in December of 2018. There are a couple other speakers from this conference I'd like you to hear from, and I'm going to try to put that on a future episode of Bench Talk. Thanks to Jason Shaw for letting us play his song, Thingamagic. Well, that's the show this week. Thank you for listening to Bench Talk, The Week in Science. We think the world is a fascinating place, and science is a good way to explore it. Science truly empowers all of us. If you want to learn more about the show, go to our Facebook page. Just search for Bench Talk, two words on Facebook. You can also email us at benchtalkradio at gmail.com. That's one word, benchtalkradio at gmail.com. Now, all of our episodes are podcasted on SoundCloud, so just visit the station's website at www.forwardradio.org and scroll down to the program archives. That's www 
forwardradio.org to listen to any of our old episodes. If you live outside of the Louisville broadcast area, you can still listen to us on live stream at that same website, www.forwardradio.org. This show is broadcast on WFMP LP 106.5 FM every Monday at 7.30 p.m., that's Eastern Time, 11.30 a.m. every Tuesday, and 7.30 a.m. every Wednesday. Thank you for listening to WFMPLP 106.5 FM, your grassroots, volunteer-run, listener-supported community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky, where there is still a little room for evidence-based rational analysis. Thank you. Thank you.